1: Get 80% off your impression kit when you
0: use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. Today, who has the power to prescribe and to block legal prescriptions of medicine like ivermectin? I wanted to begin today by reading you part of an article from MedPage, which is a left-leaning publication, sometimes has great medical information, but more often than not today, it's been filled with propaganda. It is a pharmaceutical industry publication that always leans one way and doesn't give the whole picture and has even disseminated quite a bit of disinformation on COVID and vaccines. But the article I'm interested in goes like this. The Colorado Medical Board put a family medicine physician's license on probation after he admitted to prescribing ivermectin for COVID-19 without properly informing patients of the drug's risks or discussing the FDA-approved treatments for the disease. Scott Rollins, MD, who practices in Grand Junction and the board, reached an agreement on the matter late last month, according to an online record search through the Colorado Department of so-and-so. In the agreement, it was decided that Dr. Rollins' medical license would be placed on indefinite probation pending the completion of a physician education program after Rollins admitted that his actions constituted unprofessional conduct. The agreement specifically referred to three patients, three whole patients, unnamed and listed as one through three, for whom Rollins did not perform or did not document the performance of clinical assessments and did not discuss a document discussion of several factors related to the prescription of the antiparasitic drug for the treatment and prevention of COVID. Now, don't get me started. If the doctor said he did something wrong, let's accept that at face value. But I have a feeling that he's being dinged for something that commonly happens in far more egregious circumstances every single day, but is never flagged by medical officials making this a double standard, a screaming, illogical selectivity. I have rarely, if ever, been informed by any doctor of any side effect possible with a drug that I've been prescribed, or heard a doctor give that information to people I've been in the presence of when they've been prescribed a drug. Let me hearken back to when my daughter was little, and maybe she had had asthma once or not, but the doctor prescribed what turned out to be, I learned, a black box warning drug of last resort that's not supposed to be prescribed because of its safety issues unless nothing else works. Well, nothing had even been tried on my daughter prior to that, and I'm not sure she even had asthma. Same thing, years later, my husband was prescribed a medicine that I happen to know from covering stories on CBS News was considered a drug of last resort because of its safety issues, only to be used or tried if every other drug failed, when no other drug had been tried on my husband at the time, and no side effects were discussed with us. I mean, I'm sure you have your own stories. The list can go on and on. But let's even look at the COVID vaccines. I've probably asked a couple of hundred people if they were told by their doctor or whoever administered the COVID vaccine, sometimes it's a pharmacist, if they were informed of all the side effects or the fact that we don't know all the side effects because some will be emerging for many years, And nobody I asked had been told this information. Are all of these medical professionals targeted and their licenses put on probation or pulled? Are they forced to admit they did something wrong and unethical? Are they forced to go to physician education courses? I think the selective targeting is just another factor making so many people lose trust in establishment medicine today. They can only think of one reason why Certain people and certain issues are attacked, while really important lapses by physicians and medical professionals go unaddressed. Well, this week on Full Measure, Sunday, February twelfth, I'm looking at a related issue brought up during COVID. Never before were so many people legally prescribed a legal medicine only to have the pharmacist deny giving it to them. Some believe that cost lives. On the other hand, defenders of the practice say they likely save lives by withholding a medicine from people that they shouldn't have. Should the pharmacist have the right to overrule your doctor? In today's podcast, you'll hear two sides. First, Bill Salier, who was blocked from getting ivermectin, and wait till you hear what he did when that happened. And then a pharmacy specialist who makes the case for why pharmacists are better positioned than your personal doctor to decide what medicine you should or shouldn't have. Here's Bill Salier.
2: Uh, I currently run logistics for a biodiesel refinery, but my my past includes the United States Marines. And then I ran a business for 25 years farming. And at the end of that, we were direct marketing high-end pork and beef straight to retail outlets.
0: When you were with the Marines, can you just give me a couple sentences of what your duties were?
2: Yeah, for the first roughly half of it, I was either getting my security clearance or eventually providing security for the first President Bush at Camp David. Uh, And then after that, I rotated out to the Fleet Marine Force, did a deployment to Okinawa as a squad leader, and then ended up extending my contract for six months to go to Somalia.
0: Were you in Somalia when all the
2: chaos happened? There was a lot of chaos. When you're thinking about Black Hawk Down, that was where, when when President Bush sent us in, we had a lot of firepower at our our, uh, discretion. And so when things would start to break loose, we could very quickly bring it back under control. When we left and turned it over to the UN, I remember being on what we called the Freedom Bird, taking us home, and we all just looked at each other and said, "There's, there's no way they hold this place," and of course they didn't. But by that time, the inauguration had long since taken place, and when President Clinton to se- decided to send the uh, the military back in again, there was a lot of restrictions on the military hardware that could go. We were more of a peacekeeping force as opposed to being able to come in and really settle down a, a bad situation. So, um the hardware was denied, and that's where the Black Hawk down incident that everybody thinks about now when they when they hear about Somalia or Mogadishu um, took place. I, I had actually exited the Marine Corps by then and was finishing my degree at Iowa State, but I, I remember just stomping around my my dorm room and my, my roommate probably thought I was nuts, but I was very upset that day when that took place. I, the The stadium that they were leaving from or were getting trying to get them pulled back to we were at I mean all these things were, were tangible to me. And to see that guys had just been left out to dry, that, that was hard.
0: So fast forward to the COVID um, pandemic, can you sort of bring me to the time when you decided you needed medicine and you weren't wanting to follow necessarily what was a recommended path by other people?
2: Yeah. So I, I was pretty sick after 10 days, essentially, of being in bed. Um, and we were watching me get progressively worse. And my wife was also sick at this point. So we had reached out to Mayo in in Rochester, Minnesota for help. And it was a online thing that you had to put in and we never did hear back from them. Um, we went down to a local hospital down in Iowa and we were trying to find out what what is this monoclonal thing that they're talking about. We weren't able to even be considered for that because they only had one bag of that left and they were triaging and I was deemed to not be that sick over the course of the next couple of days I continued to drop um, and thankfully a friend of mine uh, knew who Dr. Molly James was personally so he was able to get me in contact with her and she's uh, of, of that frontline doctor's um, approach to things so she did get up on the web with my wife and I, and she was able to diagnose my wife fairly quickly. And she said that you're not far enough into this that uh, hydroxychloroquine won't take care of it. So we're going to come at you with ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, and that's really all you need. And we're going to get you squared away. But for me, as I kept toppling over in bed and was having trouble sitting up in front of the computer, my wife would haul me back up again um, she told me that I was about to go critical and she believed within 48 hours I would be headed to the hospital. And she thought at that point I had a 50-50 shot of coming back out. But that she also said, that's the scary news. The good news is we can turn this around for you. She did tell me that hydroxychloroquine was too late for my symptoms. I had gone into the cytokine storm. So she said hydroxychloroquine is no longer going to help you like it will your wife. But ivermectin, she prescribed, she prescribed, um, uh, some steroids with it. There was kind of a, a package of four or five things. Um, beat, uh, the D-vitamin was was part of that as well, but the the ivermectin was the one that I think combined with the steroids was going to be kind of her punch on it. That's my thought. So we she asked what pharmacy we would like to use, and well, there's a Walmart right in town, so we're in a small town, Albert Lee, Minnesota, 18,000 people, and we Walmart, so we get a phone call from the Walmart pharmacist saying that he is refusing to fill the prescription for either my wife or me, as it related to the ivermectin or the hydroxychloroquine.
0: How did they tell you that? Was it the pharmacist himself on the phone? Yes, it was. It was the pharmacist himself,
2: and he talked to my wife because I was kind of incoherent. I knew what I was trying to say, but I was having so much trouble communicating. Um, It just wasn't coming out like what my brain was trying to, to make it go. So, my my wife took the phone call, and I remember her walking into the bedroom, and she was so upset, and I heard her say, you can't do that. You can't just not fill a prescription because you feel like you don't want to. And I could hear her responding to his answer of, yes, I can, and I won't fill it. And she continued to try and argue the case, but it was, it was a losing case. So we right away got a hold of Dr. James, and this was on a Saturday, and she was right back to us and she said, okay, we, we got to get this to you. So what other pharmacy can we use? Well, We have a grocery store chain called Hy-Vee. It's in the Iowa, Minnesota general area. Um, they've got a pharmacy and we've got one of those. So try Hy-Vee. Well, the Hy-Vee pharmacist was nicer about this, but he told my wife that I can fill all of the others, but I can't do the hydroxychloroquine or the ivermectin because when I put it into our system, the corporate decision had been, we're not going to let that be issued for COVID. So when I put it in as a prescription for COVID, it kicks it out and I can't even fill it. So that one had been a corporate decision. Um, so he was kind of hand tight on that one. We called Dr. James again and being a farm boy, I mean, I've been around Ivermectin all my life. I've, I've been giving it to livestock for, well, gosh, since I was 10 years old. So, we were very familiar with it, but we did talk to Dr. James. We even called our, our vet down in Iowa and said, okay, just, is this the same thing? Yes and yes. Okay. Now, my we had ivermectin horse paste, and uh, this was right after Joe Rogan had the big foo about this. And, of course, he didn't actually have the horse paste. He had a prescription uh, pharmaceutical for this, but we were not able to get the, what you'd call, human version of it. So we held hands and we prayed together and we took the risk that either I was in serious trouble and can I pull myself out of this or do you think these people are right and and this is the same thing. So we squirted horse paste into applesauce and down the hatch it went. And astonishingly, now, granted, yes, the steroids were in use and, and some of the other things too, but my wife only had the ivermectin. Four hours later, she was turning around. Eight hours later, I walked out of the bedroom for the first time. And my children chewed. It was remarkable. I, I could tell I was winning. And the night before we had been in touch with Dr. James, I f- fell asleep praying. And now, you got to remember my background here. As, as a Marine, there's no stop. I mean, come on, please. I can beat this, right? I mean, why couldn't I? But I could. not And I went to bed that night knowing I was losing. And I prayed to God for a miracle. I said, I, I know I'm losing this. Please, if you will let me stay with my children and my wife a little longer. I need a miracle. And the next day, there was Dr. James. Well, the pharmacies didn't exactly come through on that miracle, but that uh, farm boy, it did, and my wife and I did the pony paste. And I, I believe I am here because of that decision.
0: What time frame was this, approximately? About 10 days into it. I mean, what time of, of... October of 21. October of 21, right. How did you know, as an aside, how much horse pace to take? Did someone help you figure that out?
2: Well, it's it says right on the box. But that's for a horse. That's true. <laughs> but it says per pound. Okay. Also, the human version, I was told, is a 1% version. And this was a 1.8 from the ratio. And you convert the mass. And, gotcha. Okay. And at that point, man, it was it was take the gamble or die. Which is the point of the, the lawsuit. They're putting us in a situation where we're holding hands and praying and taking vet medication because they will not fulfill the, the prescription that the doctor writes.
0: Okay, so let's go. Um, did you hear of other people having similar experiences? Well, since since this came out, yes. Well, that, so not at the time. How did you... Give me your thought process... As you decided to challenge this, or did a group come to you, the We the Patriots, and say they would help you, or how did how did this turn into a lawsuit?
2: Yeah, actually, a uh, a friend of mine is associate, not associated with, but knows of We the Patriots. Uh, he's a national radio talk show host in and of his own right. His name is Steve Dace, and Steve was the one who hooked me to Doctor James to begin with. Uh, he contacted me when I was strong enough to start speaking again, and he said, "Bill, I'm, I'm getting." Dozens to a hundred of contacts every day about people who are being rejected on these prescriptions. And what we're looking for here is somebody that we can front up and try and bring this to a halt. We want this to be taken into the courts and attempt to get a court ruling saying essentially that the government or that the pharmacies don't have the right to deny people medication that their physician has prescribed, with the obvious addendum to that being. It's, it's a misprescription, too much of a dosage, or it is a, a doctor shopping for, for, for certain types of narcotics, things like that, that they're supposed to be watching for. But to have a medication that is for off-label uterus is extremely common, being used for something other than what it was originally designated for. It's extremely common. Um, to have that denied, especially when our physician contacted them directly and said, this is the correct prescription, this is the correct dosage, you need to fill this for my patient. And no, was the answer, I won't do this. In fact, it even ended up with our doctor becoming more firm and saying, no, you, you need to fill this, and the pharmacist at Walmart hung up on her.
0: So so, so you ended up suing the Walmart and the grocery store. Yes, and that
2: came about because, like, like I was telling you, Steve... Steve Days contacted me and wanted to push this to bring this to a halt. And my wife and I gave this a lot of consideration, too. Because our our final thought was, we just really wanted to stay private people and not be so much in the limelight with things. But there were, at that time, with Delta raging, there were thousands of people suffering when there was an answer out there. And I think, unrealistically, I was hoping for a quicker Uh, reaction through the court system. I was naive on that. And I was hopeful that with a court-directed verdict, or in lieu of that, if we could pound them financially hard enough with the thousands of other people through the same thing, they would have to reverse their policy on this. Even if I can't get a court-directed verdict on it, then the death by a thousand cuts, they have to change what they're doing to people. People were suffering and dying, and it was not necessary. And that was what tipped us to the scale of, well, we don't want to be in the limelight with this, but somebody had to step up to do the
0: fight. Can you give me your understanding in just a sentence or two of what the legal argument you made was?
2: The essence of it, it was it was multifaceted, but the essence of it was essentially that they're, they're breaking that, that bond, that contractual obligation between a doctor and a patient. And they're severing that by interfering with the prescription process. And then in, in my own way of thinking or pattern of thinking, essentially, they're practicing medicine without a license. So they are not physicians. And to be able to step in and deny me the health care that my physician had prescribed, that's, that's unethical. And to me, that just needed to be brought to a halt.
0: So as the case moved through before it got dismissed, what was... What do you think they thought was their best argument to counter it? Do you get that far? yeah um my
2: my attorney I, I think these numbers are correct, told me that Walmart brought seventeen lawyers in that day in high v six, so it was it was kind of a lopsided uh David and Goliath type of event. I think that they reacted the way they did because of the death of a thousand cuts. They had to stop me. Uh, failure to stop me opened it up for. The, the thousands of other people who could come. Because, honestly, once you once you see the chum in the water, here come the sharks, right?
0: But you're a corporation. Why wouldn't it be easier for you to just fill the legal prescriptions, make the money off the prescriptions? Yes, yes. So
2: That's why? a great question. So, of course, I
0: don't have um,
2: the investigative power to be able to to dig deep enough. But does it not make just the common citizen be able to sit back and wonder... Why? Why was the pressure being applied to not be able to give people like me a cure to this, to make us feel better? Why were we pushing the the injections instead of being able to treat those who were already sick? How many How many billions of dollars were transferred from the federal treasury to to push shots and shots and shots and shots? Uh, when I mean. Granted, mine was a vet version, but my wife and I got better for 13 bucks. <laughs> I mean, it does raise the question, does it not? Money, money does strange things. How far did the
0: suit go, and what did the judge ultimately say?
2: Uh, the suit did end up in federal court, and the reason we went to federal court is because Hive is an Iowa-based corporate entity, and Walmart is um, Arkansas, isn't it? Not sure. I believe, I believe it's Arkansas, if I remember, right? Anyway, and we were Minnesota. So we couldn't do this in state court. Uh, so it did end up in federal court in, in the Twin Cities of Minnesota there. Um, and we essentially got to the hearing phase. So once we got to the hearings, they had come with enough force, I guess, that it was able to influence the judge to just simply throw our case out. And, and he was citing some things that I find fairly questionable. Um, you know, he was he was bringing up and saying, well, if if I say that the silers that they have to be issued this pharmace- this pharmaceutical, then what about abortion drugs? Do do they have to furnish abortion drugs? Well, that I I kind of sit back and I I flip that around now back to the judge at hand. So, if a pharmacist doesn't want Two, did you not just clear the way for that? Did we just clear the way to say pharmacists do not have to issue RU-486? So he had kind of a, my my reading of the few excerpts that I was furnished with, he did seem a little chippy in his in his presentation, in my opinion. And, and I, I think the RU-486 opens up a whole new uh, can of worms that maybe he didn't intend to.
0: I think one of the things he also said was that all the authorities said that ivermectin shouldn't be taken for COVID, and therefore part of his decision was based on that. Is it, yeah,
2: isn't that interesting though? All the authorities, except some of those authorities are called doctors, and mine was one of them who said this would work. And she was correct. It did work. I am here before you today because it worked. So I don't know what authorities he was necessarily looking at other than government officials. But was it just purely Fauci is the only thing he was going off of? But there is a lot of physicians out there who are fighting that going the other direction. And I was fortunate enough to find one that would back it.
0: And then lastly, what would you say, if, if there is one, what's a takeaway when you look back at the whole experience?
2: I think that we are in trouble. That's my takeaway. The biggest fear that I had when COVID came out um, was not the bug itself. The biggest fear I had was the loss of freedom that we were experiencing because of it. It's the government intrusions into your individual liberty. This case in point being, I don't even have the opportunity to present this to a jury of my peers, to let them be able to decide were we wronged or not. Uh, The people, we're we're dealing with the economic ramifications of it still. The money that was poured into the economy because we slammed an economy to a, a halt. We call people essential workers. Everyone is an essential worker. It's what drives our society. So when you eliminate those people from it, and then you create fiat currency and cram it into the economy, we're still paying a price for that. We still have people who are not, businesses are screaming for help. And we still don't have people coming back into the labor force. Now, we don't even count them anymore. We say, well, they're not looking, so they're not even counted as unemployed. We've gone so sideways economically, and that doesn't even start to approach the way we kowtowed to our federal masters on this. The loss of individual freedom is the biggest scary takeaway of all of COVID.
0: By the way, the pharmacies mentioned here defend the actions of their pharmacists and say they did the right thing. More on that side of the story in just a moment.
2: Man, that sunset is gorgeous.
0: Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you.
1: I could stay here forever.
0: Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today.
1: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
0: Now we hear the other side of the story from Andrea Socora. She is an MFCR BCCP FCCM.
1: She's going to tell you what that means. So what that means is that I have a doctor of pharmacy degree, which is a four-year doctorate program, and then I went for, sat for my licensing and board exams and passed those. So that makes me a licensed pharmacist. I did two years of postgraduate residency training specializing in the intensive care unit, which allows me to sit for uh, board certification as a pharmacotherapy specialist. So it's a uh, board certification in critical care pharmacotherapy. Additionally, I went to Emory University and completed a Master of Science in Clinical Research. And then I am a fellow of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, which basically shows outstanding commitment to the field of critical care and to that particular organization. And you teach? And I teach. I'm a a clinical associate professor at the University of Georgia, uh, and I practice as an ICU pharmacist at AU Medical Center. Okay. That's a mouthful. Yes. Before I ask you some
0: specific questions, do you have a couple of overview thoughts about the topic we're here to talk Mm -hmm. about today? The notion that a lot of people were prescribed medicine, illegal medicine,
1: that pharmacists chose not to fill. Yes. So, the overarching thing I would like to point out is that uh, healthcare is a team sport. And so, you have a team of healthcare professionals that are coming together to uh, make the decisions in the best interest of the patient, uh, being that we're going to maximize benefit and we're going to minimize harm. And so, just in general with that process, you are looking at prescription drugs. Prescription drugs by law uh, are prescribed or they're, pres- they're prescription drugs because we don't think that they can be safely used without the advice of a healthcare professional and then the oversight of a pharmacist. And so it was an interesting situation for sure that there was kind of this large-scale desire to use certain medications that potentially did not have uh, benefit and definitely had a safety profile, uh, but certainly not uh, out of the scope of a pharmacist.
0: As far as you know, is there anything to compare this time to? Has something like
1: this happened before on this scale? To my knowledge, no. Uh, you know, I think besides, you know, going way back to like, you know, why we don't use thalidomide or the, you know, the, different the snake oil salesmen that make the Harris Kefauver Act, which is like what makes a prescription drug a prescription. This is really the first time that I think it's showed up in popular media uh, where you you were not. You saw a lot of people conscientiously objecting based on their professional opinions. And um, do you
0: think that's a precedent or this is something that's probably once in a lifetime type thing in terms of how big this was and how unusual it was? Yeah.
1: So I think a common misconception of a pharmacy or a, th- a key thing to understand is that a pharmacy is, is not like a waffle house. So A pharmacist is not a short order cook. So you don't just show up and say, hey, I want, you know, waffles and sausage. And then they give that to you. You actually have someone who's providing you a cognitive service as a medication expert. And so I think that there is sometimes a misconception that you're going to go in and get this prescription filled. And the pharmacist's job is really just to make sure that the correct pills are in the correct bottle and they go to you. That's what I thought. Yeah. And that is part of the job. It's certainly an important part, no less. But actually, a pharmacist, by training and by oath, is evaluating every prescription for the safety and the efficacy of that prescription. And so... I think something that people don't always realize is that good physicians can make really bad mistakes on prescriptions. And so behind the scenes, we're calling all the time like, hey, we can't fill this. And usually we say we can't fill it because it's like the dose is wrong or the we think that they actually meant a different drug um, than what they've prescribed. Whereas in this case, you saw much more pharmacists um, exercising their full, I guess, expertise and their healthcare professional judgment to say, this medication we do not think has, uh, we, we know that it doesn't have a proven benefit, and we know that you can end up in the ICU if taking this medication inappropriately.
0: It could be argued that the people who see their physician, that's a much closer relationship in terms of what the physician knows about that patient's particular problems and needs versus the pharmacist who fills the prescription why should the pharmacist word be able to i understand the input but why should the pharmacist
1: be able to overrule what the doctor decided mm-hmm. now that's a great question so again a, a, a physician can in their best judgment make a decision on a healthcare on a on a prescription order and say that they think this is ideal but when you get the prescription at the pharmacy, you realize that they did not take into account drug-drug interactions, that they didn't take into account the patient's age or other comorbidities. And this happens all the time. And so again, I wouldn't disagree that they have t- times more information about the patient than the pharmacist does, but they don't necessarily have more information about the drugs than the pharmacist. Um, I think it's a good point to realize that um, most providers get two or three semesters of drug training in their training, compared to four years in a doctor of pharmacy degree. And so, I mean, we have things all the time where it's like, oh, that was that's a reasonable choice for a urinary tract infection, but not for this patient because of the other drugs they're on, their other comorbidities. And so, you call and you say, like, hey, what about this? And they say, oh, that's a great point. Um, so, yes. What about a scenario? And someone did describe this to us
0: where. The pharmacist said no to a prescription for ivermectin. Yeah. The doctor, the prescribing doctor, contacted the pharmacist and said, this is what I mean. (laughs) You know, I I hear your objections, but this is why the patient still needs it and should have it. And the pharmacist still said no. After a consultation like that, do you
1: think that's appropriate for the pharmacist to overrule the doctor? Yes. So I would love to give you an example of this. So I know um, an independent pharmacist who also owns um, a cattle farm. And he refused to fill an ivermectin prescription. And the patient became very upset and called the physician. The physician became very upset. And the pharmacist ended up saying, he said, Sir, um, I I cannot fill this prescription for you because this dose is higher than I would give a 2,000-pound cow. And that at this point, ivermectin is, we know it is not a perfectly safe medication. We know that high doses can result in seizures, can result in low blood pressure, can result in being admitted to the ICU. And so can you, you know, discuss the risk benefits at that point? And at that, and at that point, it became pretty clear that the physician did not want to, fill, you know, did not want to change, but I would feel pretty comfortable as a pharmacist refusing to fill that. Um, are there cases that you know of where there are consultations
0: and then, I guess usually it sounds like from what you say, the doctor may agree with, oh, I meant this dosage or I meant this other drug.
1: So I would say in my practice over the past 10 years of being a pharmacist, I have really only had one time where we could not see eye to eye. And I basically said, I, I refuse to, to do what you're asking. And in that case, it was a, a time of the, the, phar- the physician wanted to prescribe a neuromuscular blocker in the ICU without providing appropriate analgesia and sedation. And that is very, I say, unethical and very out of the ordinary thing to do. And we went back and forth. And finally, I just said, I'm not going to do this. And I'm going to like, I'll go talk to the director of ICU services. And he said, I'm going to talk to your boss. And I said, okay, great. You know, this is, and it was a very difficult situation. I can't necessarily explain what, it, it would be totally inappropriate in every situation to do that. Um, and in every other time we have, when I have worked with a physician, we come to some middle ground. Either they, they give me a compelling argument. we like, oh, I didn't know that. That's a great point. But there's a lot of times when they say, oh, I didn't know that. And that's a great point. Um, And that, again, that's kind of that healthcare is a a team sport. Uh, And you could have really, really educated, amazing physicians that just don't know things about certain drugs. Another point within the ivermectin story that I think is important to understand is that there were several really high-profile studies um, that came out that kind of said, like, hey, this works, that ended up getting Um, retracted. And there was a period in time when this was all kind of going down. I mean, Twitter blew up. It was, you know, definitely a big thing. But like a day before, you would have been like, maybe ivermectin is appropriate. 24 hours later, it was like, nope, 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 nope. And so if you had someone who just hadn't seen Twitter in the last 24 hours, I could see that conversation happening where they genuinely are like, why are you pushing back on this? Uh, But yeah, hopefully that answers your question. In hindsight,
0: or with the benefit of hindsight, yeah. is there something the medical profession could have done—not just pharmacists, but with doctors—if we know, if we knew then what we know now, could there have been a, some sort of consultation that would have avoided some of this and allowed for some prescriptions? For example, if a doctor prescribed a low dose that he thought would work, and the patient was going to be monitored, and the
1: pharmacist was clear on that. So, in the initial, part, you know areas of COVID, in the initial time of COVID, we didn't know a lot about the disease pathophysiology. We didn't know what worked. And so we made theoretical decisions. We said, in theory, ivermectin is antiviral activity. So there's a it's reasonable this might work. But then we did studies and we found out that it has no benefit. And so the It's not a problem necessarily to use an unproven drug in a situation like COVID, but it is a problem to continue using a disproven drug. And again, this gets into the safety and the efficacy. You're always balancing those two things. So, you know, a key um, adage is that no medication is harmless. No medication is benign. And so to ever give a medication when you know it doesn't have an effect, um, but you do know that there's a risk of harm, we just don't do that as a as a profession and really as a healthcare field. And so I don't know what the benefit of hindsight is twenty twenty, I think a lot of people were doing the best that they could with all of the rapid information. Studies were coming out all the time of varying quality. Um, you know, some of the studies would come out and showed some, you know, showed a benefit. But then it turns out that they weren't using the other standards of care that were coming out in parallel studies at the same time. And those had bigger benefits. And so it was like, what do you you know, what's better for that patient in that moment. So I don't know. I don't know if there was a better way besides, I guess, an, a better understanding that medications are, uh, there's a joint decision between a lot of different individuals, including the patient, um, but not just including the patient.
0: <laughs> I hope you'll watch the complete story, which has more information on Sunday, February 12th, Or if you missed it, if you're listening to this after February 12th, 2023, you can catch replays at fullmeasure.news. But even easier, watch that and all of my cover stories anytime. It makes some great binge watching. If you go to CherylAckeson.com, click the Full Measure tab, you'll see a link to all the cover stories. There's a station list there of TV stations and times for Full Measure, as well as instructions on other ways to watch online or through our free app, STIR, S-T-I-R-R, which has a bunch of great local news and free entertainment on there. I hope you enjoy this podcast and that you'll check out my other podcast, the Cheryl Ackeson podcast, for original accurate reporting and news, especially on off-narrative topics. And I hope you will like these podcasts, leave us a great review, and share it with your friends. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.